Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. One day a famous Chicago preacher was approached by some members of his church. And these uh, members of his congregation said to him that they felt God leading them to start praying for him while he was preaching. It was a church that had more than one service so they could you know, go to hear him preach during one sermon and then pray for him while he was preaching during the other service. This, uh, this man uh, got very angry at the members of his church who said this. And he said, no, don't pray for me, pray for them the people listening to me, the people hearing me, they're the ones who need prayer. And uh, the members of his congregation sort of stood their ground and said very respectfully, no, you're the one who needs prayer. Uh, we're going to pray for you, uh, not for the people listening to you. And uh, uh, that man, of course, was Deal Moody. And in uh, later years, uh, when people would come to his church and ask him uh, why his ministry was so successful, he would take them down to the room in the basement where all those people would pray for him during, during uh, his preaching. He said, that the, reason, the reason God has made me fruitful is because while I preach, these people, these members of my church are actually praying for me while I preach. Uh, when the word of God is being preached, for whom should you pray? Uh, who needs the prayer? The preacher or the people listening to the preacher? We're looking at Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. This is what Paul says. He says, Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Paul does not ask for prayer for his listeners. He asks for prayer for himself. If you would look to a similar passage in Colossians chapter 4, please. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Again, when asking for prayer for a situation in which the word of God is being preached. Paul is not asked for prayer for the listeners, but for himself. Colossians 4, starting at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. As Christians are in greater need of prayer than non-Christians, so it would seem that the preacher is in greater need of prayer than those listening to the preacher. The topic uh, for today's sermon is prayer for the preacher. I am preaching on this topic because Dave Silvernail told me to. <laughs> he is on vacation this week, so we will take the uh, opportunity to talk about him a lot, and uh, Lord willing, <laughs> uh, pray for him a lot during uh, this morning's message. The priority of preaching is a distinctive of the Reformed faith. Traditionally, the easiest way to tell a Protestant church was that the pulpit is where? Yeah, front and center. Okay, front and center. The pulpit was put right in the middle. And they uh, actually traditionally chained a Bible to the pulpit. Okay, the, uh, the point being is that the, the Word of God is going to have the central role in uh, the worship of God in, in a Protestant church. Uh, traditionally, the easiest way to tell an evangelical church just by walking in is that every person brought a what to church? A Bible, that's right. And actually did what with that Bible during the worship service? Opened it and used it, yes, that's right. Uh, now, you say, wait a minute, uh, that's 
that is in decline. That's right. The evangelical church is in decline. Many, many evangelical churches are, are drifting toward theological liberalism, and, and one, one fruit or evidence of that is, is that the Bible is not used as much in evangelical churches as it was 20 years ago, uh, unfortunately. But uh, you, you could always tell a Reformed church by the, the great emphasis upon preaching, and specifically the preaching of the Scriptures. Uh, in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus calls the pastors of the churches angels or messengers. Uh, we, in the Reformed Church, do not call the, the minister a priest. Okay, I am not a priest. A priest's job is to represent the people to God. If I were your priest during the worship service, I would, what? Yeah, I would turn around. I would turn my back on you, okay, and represent you to God. I am not your priest. I will never turn my back on you during church. And if, if I do, you... Yes, you throw things at me. That's right, okay? Because I am, I am not a priest, okay? The, the uh, minister is uh, an angelos, a messenger. Uh, it's my job to represent God, to bring a message from God, specifically the word of God. That is why we, we call our, our pastors pastors or, or ministers or messengers uh, from God. If you would put the slide up for me, please. In the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, Uh, if you look at question 89, the middle one there, uh, we learn that the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Uh, this is something that separates us from other evangelical believers. We, we don't simply believe that the Word of God is the, is the main thing that God uses to advance His church. We believe specifically that it is the preaching of the word of God that God uses to advance his church. And that's why we have that phrase, especially the preaching. And this comes uh, in particular from Romans 10. If you would turn there with me, please, you can turn that off for me. Thank you. Please turn with me to Romans 10 for uh, where we get this idea that it is in particular the preaching of the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to lead people to Christ and then to build them up in holiness. Looking at Romans 10. Starting at verse 14, please. Paul says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Your preacher is a man of beautiful feet. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It seems to me that you believe this, that, that preaching is important, because you, you pay for it. You actually pay quite a bit for it. Uh, it takes a pastor at least 20 hours a week to prepare a sermon. So if you, if you add up Dave Silvernail's salary and Dave Dorse and, and mine, and you sort of take whatever percentage of that time is devoted to sermon preparation and delivery, and, uh, and then you know, some of the cost of running this facility, it, it certainly seems that our church is paying well over $100,000 a year just for preaching. Okay, that, that comes out to over $2,000 a sermon that, that you're paying. All right, so that's, uh, that's kind of putting your money where, where, your, uh, where your mouth is. You know, uh, to, uh, you know, I had a seminary professor once who said, you know, it, it's easy to, to get great preaching. You just listen to the radio, you know, the, the best preachers, you know, sell their tapes and CDs. Uh, but it, it's not the same thing to, to hear someone preaching on the radio as opposed to hearing your pastor preach to you. Uh, the, the pastor who has 
taken an oath to care for you spiritually and is trying to pastor you and shepherd you while he preaches. And, and that's what you're paying for. You're, you're paying thousands of dollars to hear the word preached from the man who has vowed to shepherd you. We believe in the priority of preaching, and, and that's why it's important to pray for the preacher. If you would turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. I'd like to offer you two practical ways to pray for uh, your preacher. The first is to use the pastoral letters. Uh, There are three books in the Bible that are actually written to the pastor, telling him how to do his job and what kind of man he's supposed to be. First Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus. I sometimes wonder how non-pastors approach these letters. I mean, these letters are written to me, telling me how to do my job. And uh, I, I realize that if you're not a pastor, maybe there's a certain remove from these letters, but you can certainly use them to pray for your pastor. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Did you ever notice that when Jesus went off to pray by himself alone, he often took his disciples with him? When he went to pray alone, he often took his disciples with him. Why? Because the only way to learn how to pray by yourself is to listen to someone else pray by themselves. Say that doesn't make any sense, I know, but that's the way it is, okay? You, 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 can't, you can't learn that uh, unless you listen to someone do it. And so whenever I model a prayer in, in the worship service, I mean, that's why. It is my responsibility to, to show you how you're supposed to pray when you're alone, just you. So uh, let's go ahead and do this. Uh, I'm going to pray for Dave Silvernail, our senior pastor, who's away right now. And I'm going to use this, the pastor letter, to, to do that. All right, let's look at First Timothy chapter 3 starting at verse 2, and I will pray for Dave, and you agree with me in prayer, please. Almighty God, we pray that Dave Silvernail would be above reproach, that he would be the husband of but one wife, meaning a one-woman man, that he would be temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, that he would not be given to drunkenness, that he would not be violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. We pray that he would manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. We pray that he would have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. When I show you how to pray that way, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, you know, but my experience is that that some Christians know that you're supposed to use the Bible to pray, but that for some, that's new, okay? If, If this is not how you pray then I guess if you learn one thing this morning, it's that I want you to pray this way. I want you to literally open the Bible, and when you're praying for your pastor, to pray this stuff for your pastor. This is what the Bible says your pastor is supposed to be like. Pray it for your pastor. Uh, I could think of a few things that would be more encouraging than for one of you to come up to me and say, I'm praying this for you. Rich, I am praying for you to be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and so on. That'd be very encouraging. I hope you pray it for me, for Dave Dorst, for Dave Silvernail, and sure, why not come up to us and tell us you're doing so, because that would uh, be quite encouraging to us. I would, uh, I would ask you to note, just in passing, that of all of these requirements for the pastor, all but one of them have to do with personal character. Uh, 
I've interviewed for pastoral positions in various churches over the years, and usually in my interview I get asked about you know, my education, my job experience, my spiritual gifts. Uh, that's fine, that's all important. But according to this, what's the main requirement for a pastor? It's personal holiness. It's godliness. And uh, I, I find it frustrating when I come away from an interview and I was never once asked about what kind of man I am. I just asked about the, you know, the same sort of questions I would be asked in a secular job interview. Uh, if, if you pray anything for your pastor, this is what you need to pray, that he be a godly man. That, that, is, that is every pastor's greatest desire, that when we die, it could be said of us that we practiced what we preached. It's our greatest fear that we fall into sin and become a hypocrite and cast reproach upon Christ and his church. If you're going to pray anything for your pastor, pray this for him, that he be a godly man. Let's continue in uh, chapter 4. Praying for Dave here. Starting at verse 12. Chapter 4, starting at verse 12. May Dave Silvernail not let anyone look down on him because he is young. But may he set an example for us in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. May Dave devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. May he not neglect his gift. May he be diligent in these matters, giving himself wholly to them, so that everyone may see his progress. May he watch his life and doctrine closely. May he persevere in them, because if he does, he will save both us and himself. I encourage you to use 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus in praying for your preacher. That is uh, one practical way to do so. The other practical way to pray for your preacher is to use the shepherd motif. If you would turn with me to the Old Testament, to Psalm 23. Please turn with me to Psalm 23. You can use the shepherd theme or motif to pray for your preacher. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Jesus is your shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. Your pastor is a pastor. He is an under-shepherd. So uh, a very practical way to pray for your pastor is to pray that he be a good shepherd. If you skip to verse 4, this last part of verse 4, it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That means a pastor carries two objects in his hands. Uh, A staff is for use on the sheep. Okay, when a sheep goes astray, you use the staff to pull them back. You want them to go this way, you sort of whack them in the butt. The rod is a weapon, a club. It's for use against wolves. And the, the shepherd's job is to protect the sheep from wolves, uh, who are, of course, trying to eat them. Right? These are your pastor's two main responsibilities. I am to use a staff to shepherd you and a rod to protect you, to beat wolves. And so literally, you should pray for your pastor to use these two objects effectively, that he would shepherd you well and that he would protect you from wolves, that he would do a great job smacking them in the head. Just on a little aside, it, it does help your pastor greatly for you to realize that there are wolves trying to eat you and to not act all surprised or shocked when I hit them. Like, what are you doing? You're being so mean. Yes, exactly. He's a wolf. He's trying to eat you. It's my job to be mean to him. I'm supposed to smack him in the head. I'm doing that for you. Be happy that your pastor hits them. It is half of his job. Pray that he do so well. 
Again, on the shepherd uh, motif or theme, turn to Ezekiel 34, please. Ezekiel chapter 34. Of course, praying for your pastor to be an effective shepherd, you have to admit that you're a sheep who needs a shepherd. So in the very act of uh, praying that for your pastor, you are humbling yourself before God. Sheep are stupid. Pray for your pastor to shepherd you while you're admitting your stupidity, your need for shepherding. And I speak to myself, of course, because even though I'm an under-shepherd in the end, I'm a sheep too in great need of shepherding. This is what God says in Ezekiel 34, starting at verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. See, this is a a rebuke against bad shepherds. So you pray for your pastor to do the opposite. We pray for Dave Silvernail to strengthen the weak, to heal the sick, to bind up the injured, for him to bring back the strays and to search for the lost, to rule them gently with patience and love. We pray that he would be so effective in his shepherding that not one sheep would be scattered, but that the flock would be held together and protected and preserved for that day. Two practical ways to pray for your preacher. You can use the pastoral epistles and you could use the shepherd imagery in the Bible. And I'm sure that all of your pastors would be encouraged to hear you praying either. Now, I've uh, come up with a list of 20 uh, challenges or issues that are unique to pastors to try to help you understand uh, uh, your pastor better and uh, that you might pray for him better. And these are in no uh, particular order. Uh, Number one, uh, pastor is the only job with qualifications for the wife. Imagine, guys, that you're at a job interview, and at one point in your interview, they say, okay, it's time to talk about your wife. Is your wife a woman who meets the criteria in 1 Timothy 3.11? Is she a wife, a woman worthy of respect, not a malicious talker, but temperate and trustworthy in everything? Man, what would you do if you were asked that question during a job interview? There is no other job like the pastor in which there are qualifications for the wife. And uh, I would suggest that there is no other job that puts more pressure on a wife. Uh, it's it's a saying that the pastor's wives are some of the loneliest women on earth. I encourage you to pray not only for your pastor, but for uh, his wife as well. Second, it is very easy for a pastor to get distracted from his uh, primary duties. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 6, please. Acts chapter 6, we uh, see an early example of how the preachers were getting distracted from what they were supposed to be doing. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us the pastors of the church, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Nothing against waiting on tables, but they were letting the good take place of the best. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them 
and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Your pastor's job is to devote himself to prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's why we have what in the church? Deacons. Okay, this is the establishment of the deacons. All right. If you love your pastor, you care about him, pray for the deacons that they would do their job and that they would do it well. Because if the deacons do their job well, that frees the pastor up to do his job. His job is to devote himself to prayer and the ministry of the word. The third challenge unique to pastors is that we have to give an account for those under our care. If you would turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. When I die, I not only have to account for myself, I have to give an account for you. I have to answer for you. Okay, you say, well, I don't agree with that. It doesn't matter, I have to answer for you anyway. And, and not only do I still have to answer for you, I have to answer for the fact that I did not succeed in convincing you that I have to answer for you. <sighs> it is a tremendous responsibility. I have to answer for your soul on the day of judgment. Many men are crushed by the weight of it. The fourth challenge unique to pastors is that they need significant chunks of uninterrupted time for sermon preparation. To prepare a sermon requires at least 20 hours. Okay, and that never changes. All right, you need at least 20 hours a week. And you need significant blocks of time uninterrupted. The only way to, the only way to get that is not to be nice. There's, there's no such thing as a nice man who's a great preacher. Because if you're nice, you are always letting people interrupt you. You're always letting them take away those blocks of time. And in, in being nice to everyone, you are you know, sacrificing the preaching of the word long term. Pray for your pastor not to be nice. For him to guard those blocks of time. Even if that means he's not going to return your phone call and he's not going to respond to your email. Because it is more important for him to invest that quality time into preparing for the preaching of the word. Uh, a fifth and related issue is... It's just the inherent time limitations to the ministry. Uh, a pastor has to devote himself to prayer and the preaching of the word. Beyond that, there's a certain minimum number of administrative duties, uh, weddings, funerals, meetings, etc. When, when you get all that done, a pastor has time to focus on one or two things. That's it. That is it. And one of the basic decisions every pastor has to make is what are, going, are those one or two things going to be that I'm going to focus on in my life? I know one pastor in Chicago, the two things he focuses on are counseling and visitation. I know a pastor here in Virginia, the two things he focuses on are discipling his elders and church planting. I know another pastor, he focuses on uh, training small group leaders and then going from small group to small group, discipling those leaders and helping them. All right? so each of those men has chosen how to focus his time based upon his gifts, what he thinks God has called him to do. And, and guess what? That means he can't focus on anything else. And uh, it's very frustrating to a pastor when, when everyone sort of has their personal idea as to what he should be focusing on. All right, uh, because, well, I know this pastor and he focuses on this. Well, so, okay, maybe God has called Dave Silvernail to focus on something else. All right, and, you know, he has to make that decision. One or two things. That's all he's got time left to do. And, you know, beyond that, you just have to accept the fact that there are no more hours in the week uh, for your pastor. Making uh, that decision, how to focus one's time, is a, is a difficult issue. Six, 
The, uh, the pastor's primary product is not measurable. Uh, I have a job, I am a pastor. What am I supposed to produce in my job? What is the main thing? The main thing I am supposed to produce is sanctification. Spiritual growth. Now, it's, it's true I'm also supposed to do the work of an evangelist to lead new people to Christ. That's not a pastor's main responsibility. That's why the sermon is directed to believers, not to unbelievers. Pastor's main responsibility is to help you grow in faith and godliness, year by year, decade by decade, but it's not measurable. You can measure how many people join the church. You can measure the budget. So my job is to produce spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, and uh, it is uh, very hard to spend one's life working for something, and there's no easy way to tell how much of it you're actually producing. Seventh, there is a great temptation to give people what they want instead of what they need. Uh, There's a saying that the business of America is business. Uh, Many pastors give in to the temptation to become CEOs and to turn their elders into a board of directors. Okay, the church is not a business. And the elders are not a board of directors. The elders are co-pastors. Their job is to help the pastor shepherd the church. There is a great temptation to become an entertainer. Uh, I just have to say this. Let me challenge you to consider very carefully before you give applause during the worship service. Uh, According to the Bible, whom are we supposed to clap for during church? God. That's right. So if you're clapping for God, praise God. All right. Uh, The person up here playing or singing is not an entertainer. And you're not an audience. Who is the audience in a worship service? God is the audience. Who are the performers? We are. This whole room is a stage. That is not a stage. Okay, we are the performers. God is the audience. Okay, I, I really encourage you not to clap for someone after they sing or, or play their instrument. They are not here to entertain you. And uh, uh, many churches have sort of given in to that temptation, and, and the worship service becomes more like a variety show. And uh, uh, again, uh, the pastor's job is to give the church what it needs, not what it wants. Uh, eighth, uh, another challenge for the pastor is that uh, many people in his church have sort of their own private agenda for what they want the church to be and do. If, uh, if you have strong opinion as to what the church is supposed to be, okay, I'm, I'm glad that you do. You're not the pastor. Dave Silvernail is the pastor of this church. The ship can only have one captain. It is his job to set the vision for this church. And it's our job to be good construction workers and listen to the architect and to not grumble or complain about it. Now, we can certainly pray for God to lead him and direct him if we, if we feel God has given us insight into his gifts and abilities and, and we want to share that with him, that's fine. But uh, he's the captain. And uh, it, is, it is our job to follow the vision that he puts before the church. And just let me uh, pause and, and say this about Dave Silvernail. And I can say this because one, I'm a pastor, and two, I don't really get paid much by this church. I get paid a little bit, but most of my salary comes from my school, so I'm not uh, going for a raise here or anything like that. Uh, Dave Silvernail is an exceptional man. I, I know a lot of pastors, and there are not many like Dave Silvernail. And I realize he's a sinner just like the rest of us. Uh, he, is a, he is a wise man. 
he has great confidence in Christ. He has great confidence in the word of God. He thinks biblically. He, as the Puritans would say, he has an interest before the throne of grace. I believe that God hears him when he prays. Uh, he's, he's a man worth imitating. Uh, encourage him by praying, pray for God to give him a vision for us and us the humility to follow him uh, in that vision. Uh, another challenge that uh, pastors often face is that many people in their church have an, an unspoken holiness range in their mind of, of how holy they want the pastor to be. Okay, they don't want him to be too ungodly because that would make them uncomfortable, but they don't want him to be too holy either because that would also make them uncomfortable. So they want the pastor to sin some, but not too much. All right, and, and if, the, if the pastor sort of gets outside that range, he becomes too godly, too zealous for Christ, it starts making people uncomfortable. And so there's a lot of subtle pressure brought to bear on the pastor to be godly, but not too godly. It is the pastor's job to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. All right? Pray for your pastor to be so godly that he makes you really uncomfortable, that you feel afflicted in his presence, convicted of sin. Don't settle for your pastor being sort of holy. Tenth, your pastor has to strike the right balance between being too bold and too timid. There are all sorts of controversial issues, divorce, feminism, homosexuality, abortion, the list goes on and on. And the Bible speaks to these issues. All right, and if I never get up here and bring the word of God to bear on those issues, I'm being a wimp. But if all I ever do is go seeking controversy, then you know, that's not godly either. You know, the, the goal is to build up the church to the preaching. And so the you know, week by week, year by year, the pastor has to be wise in deciding when and how to address various controversial issues. And uh, you need to pray that for your pastor, that he has that wisdom of uh, deciding when and how to, to dig into those difficult issues. And, you know, I've got a list of 20 things, and I got through 10 of them, and I'm out of time. So maybe uh, next year, uh, Dave will ask me to preach more on <laughs> praying for the pastor. But uh, l- let, me, uh, let me just conclude with one encouragement. It's my experience that when uh, I ask people to pray for me, well, here, I'll give you an example. Uh, Let's say I share two requests with you. One, I've been sick for three weeks now. I ask, uh, please pray for God to heal me. And uh, I'm trying to get my book rewritten and published. And I ask uh, for prayer for that. My experience is that often people will pray for the first request because it's something they can relate to. It's something they've prayed themselves, you know, but they won't pray for the other one. Because it's just something they've never prayed for themselves. And they just have no connection to that, you know, praying for a book, for writing. And, and so they just ignore it. They pretend the request isn't, isn't made. Well, what I want to challenge you to do is pray for what your pastor asks you to pray for. Whether you understand it or not. Whether you can relate to it or not. I mean, your, your pastor's biggest responsibility every week is to take a section of the word of God and labor in it. And, and pour himself into it. And, and be broken by it and destroyed by the word of God. And then, and then built back up by that passage and renewed by it so that so when he comes into the pulpit Sunday morning, he has a word from God to bring to the people of God. It is a terrible experience. It, it destroys you. Preachers don't live long <laughs> because that, that process of week by week being undone by the word of God and redone by the word of God, it ruins you. 
you become poured out. You die. That task of laboring in the word of God, that is what your pastor needs prayer for. And if you have never done that, so what? You need to pray for that anyway. If you don't understand it, what it means to take a passage of the word of God and, and pour yourself into it, even if it takes a hundred, a thousand hours, I don't care if you don't understand it. I don't care if you've never done it. Pray for it anyway. That is what your pastor is doing. That is what he needs prayer, prayer for. Pray it. God Almighty, bless Dave Solomon. He's going to start preaching on Daniel next week. Bless him as he labors in the word. Give him insight. Give him understanding. Use the word to crush him. Use the word to remake him and renew him. Transform him. May he have something to bring to us that cost him. Pray it for him. Pray it for him. That is what he needs. Pray for what your pastor needs, I ask. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you very much for your people. I thank you that they do pray for me and Dave Dorst, for Dave Silvernail, for everyone else who brings the word of God to them. I pray that you would hear their prayers for us, that your answer to them would be yes, and we'll bless the pastors, the preachers of this church. Grant it that your son, Jesus, our high shepherd, may be honored indeed through his people, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.